0: of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
1: Creepypasta and Scary Stories, Ancient Relics Hello, it's Spooky Boo. I'm back from summer vacation and here to read some spooky, scary stories to you. These stories come from the depths of the internet. Some may be true and some are fiction. Many of the stories, no one knows where they come from or are anonymously placed in the creepypasta libraries around the web. Why don't you be the judge and visit my website at www.creepypastascarystories.com and let me know in the comments. Before we get started, I'd like to invite you to watch Creature Features with me on Saturday nights at 9pm Pacific on YouTube. We all have fun in the chat room while watching the old horror flicks and sci-fi movies presented by the adorable horror host Vincent Van Dahl, along with his stately butler Livingston and tantalizing but dangerous housemate Tangella with their guest of the week. Get the link at www.creaturefeatures.tv I write and tell my own horror stories on the Spooky Boo Scary Storytime website and podcast. Check it out at www.scarystorytime.com or support the channel at Patreon and get all of what you see here and my stories as well in one podcast at www.spookyboo.club I'd also like to thank all of the courageous firefighters and first responders out here in California and everywhere around the world. Thank you for all of your diligent, hard work in keeping us safe from these torrential fires. You are in our hearts and prayers always. Now let's begin. Story number one, the skeleton in the throne. Can you hear it? you, you are alive you cannot hear it try harder that, that is the sound of life coursing through your veins but what of the lack of it why, that is surely the telltale sign of a dead carcass Oh, but what is more delectable and delicious than a stale corpse I do not know I can feel the crisp frigid air stabbing at my barren flesh. Ah, oh, the sting of the brandings and scars of his divinity. My, yes, they hurt, but they were all for him. Him, I say, the bringer of darkness and despair, the worm I stand here, naked and shivering, before his holy abode, this cave of plague and revulsion. I can hear my blood trampling through my body. It must be given back. I must prove my devotion to his disease. Oh, but I dare not arrive before him with only my body. Oh, no, no, no. You see, I have brought others into my body. I have bathed in the blood of the babe. I have ingested and fattened myself upon the innocent. I have devoured and absorbed the very children I have birthed. Though that is not all, no. For I have taken from the needy and preyed upon the weak. And above all, I have brought him these disgusting little larvae. I, and I alone and the maggot, the most devoted receiver of his grime. And all of these putrescent children are but squirmy little larvae. Oh, but how beautiful this pale, wintry sky is. Oh, how tranquil these peaceful evergreens that house and protect all that is nature and right are. it must all burn, burn to the ground. I say... For that is his will, and, oh, look, look how comforting the daunting sight of the cave before me is, with its grotesque formations and the rancid stench of decay that oozes from its gaping, gnarled mouth. Before I intrude, however, I must slaughter to him one of these horrid larvae. Come hither, I bark at a particularly frightened-looking child. "'It raises its teary eyes and slowly inches forth to me, "'and I tear away its squishy, pale throat. "'This is for you, my father!' "'I shriek ecstatically to the heavens "'as the blood dribbles down my chin "'and the larva writhes and oozes onto the cold, hard earth. "'Now that I have properly conducted the sacrifice for him,' I must now send unto him the rest of these slimy little beasts. But they must be willing. I tell the children before me that they will meet their glory. But I know that all they will meet is a horrible, delicious end. I send them along in pairs to go into the dark depths of the cave before me, believing me when I remind them that they will meet honor and be forever a hero to the world." Now there is only myself. I prepare myself to go into the cave, but what is this? Fear? Why, I have done everything I know to do. Where are the children? I I cannot see, but I should have stumbled across a corpse by now. Why does this frighten me so? No matter, I shall descend into this impenetrable darkness nonetheless. Suddenly, to my right, I perceive a soft, distant whimpering. I turn my head to face in the direction that it is coming from, but alas, only an endless black abyss meets my eyes. I reach out my hand to touch the wall, so that I may use it as a guide, but there is no wall. It appears to be a tunnel of some sorts. I decide to follow it, as that is where the soft crying is coming from. After what seems to be hours, the whimpering slowly gets louder. I finally find myself stumbling into a dimly lit chamber. The stone floor curves in a shallow basin, with a slightly raised platform against the far wall, and in the center of that platform is an empty, ancient-looking wooden throne. On the floor, in a semicircle around the throne, are the very larvae, that I had sent as a tribute to his repulsion, but they are not dead. No, no, they are very, very much alive and sobbing, slowly, very slowly, and angrily, very angrily. They swivel their puffy, weeping faces to glare at my own. Is this not what you wanted? A pleasant voice I do not recognize asked calmly. "'yet angrily. "'I raise my eyes to the source, "'and I am surprised to find "'in the previously empty throne "'a man donned handsomely, "'in skins and furs, "'with a crown of snowy white ivory "'atop his head. "'Why are you so surprised?' "'he asked innocently. "'Did you not send these beautiful creatures "'here to be with me?' "'I... I... "'But this is not the Lord I had expected.' Why does he speak to me of these children with so much love in his voice? Is this some sort of trick? These larvae are not beautiful. They are repulsive. You do not think us beautiful? The larvae ask in unison. My children, the man in the throne exclaims. My daughters and sons, why would you ever say something like that? "'Those are her thoughts. "'They are most impure. "'They chant monotonously. "'The man raises his face to me, "'wearing an expression of mock confusion. "'I notice that wrinkles are spreading out across his face. "'Is this true? "'Could it be that the most devoted of my followers "'does not love her own beautiful children?' "'Of course it is not true,' I lie quickly. "'They are beautiful little cherubs.' She lies, father. I know my children, he assures. He seems to be an old man now, but his voice is as clear as ever. Tell me what you are, he asks me. I am the maggot. I am your most loyal, most devoted. The maggot. And I am correct in supposing that these horrible little creatures are not but lowly larva. Hmm. His eyes are glazing over and his skin is becoming taut over his receding flesh. But of course, I cry in ecstasy, as I realize that he truly is on my side. They are but mere vermin. They are nothing compared to me. But just only a second ago you said that they were beautiful, did you not? His skin is receding in holes of decay. Tell me, my children, what is the difference between a maggot and a larva? A maggot is simply a kind of larva, they answered together eerily. That is not true, I shriek uncontrollably. He looks up at me calmly. Insects are now devouring the very jelly of his eyes. I beg to differ. A larva is simply an insect during the early stages of life, and so is a maggot and this title you wear proudly upon your fattened bosom is an insult. Maggots are considered some of the lowest vile creatures, they are at the bottom of the animal food chain. Do you have any idea how many other so-called maggots are in the worm's service? Yet you think yourself to be the only true maggot. Tell me. To whom did you cause pain when you indulged yourself upon the innocent and took from the needy? Nobody, father, I cry. She lies. She devoured our very brethren, the very ones she herself birthed. The larva wail, brimming with anger and hate. Yes, I know my children. An unfamiliar voice assures them from behind me. She lies to the ones who know. I turn around and see a rotting old woman of obvious forming beauty. I allowed this gluttonous fiend the privilege of mothering our children. But mother them she did not. No. She consumed them for her own sick delusions of grandeur. She tells the decayed body in the throne. She now turns to face me, her eyeless sockets somehow piercing through to my soul. Tell me, woman, she says to me, do you take pride in yourself for being such a gruesome abomination against nature, against myself? She is now nothing but bone and bits of shriveled black flesh holding her skeleton together. Mother, she has no heart. She only has greed. The children explain. My children? I know, she responds. So the rotten skeleton in the throne begins. I believe that it is fairly safe to assume that you are truly the maggot here. You feed yourself upon the pain of your children in the hopes of you appearing holy before a demon that is not. I, the worm, My head is pounding from the mounting tension of this sudden and unexpected turn of events. It is true. I have no love for these horrid larvae, only hatred and contempt. But this... This is not what I expected. I cry shrilly. I sent these larvae here to die for you. You are supposed to be the unholy disease. At this, the skeleton leaps out of his throne in a flash of rage and points a long, bony finger at me. You dare refer to me as an unholy disease? He roars. You have only sent these innocent children here to their premature graves for your own personal gain and wicked ways. "'You hold no love for your children "'and have no room to excuse yourself. "'You only have contempt and greed,' the mother adds. "'Why do you not love us?' "'The tiny skeletons scream in unanimous rage and despair. "'We were your very children.' "'You are beneath me!' I screech hysterically. "'I am your better!' "'Why should I care for you? "'You are but the filthy vermin squalor "'under my pedestal of superiority. "'You,' the mother returns, "'truly are the unholy disease here. "'It is your duty to love and care for your children, "'yet you sent them with ecstasy to their dooms. "'Every mother should love her children, "'but you do not. "'I quite agree.' The father concurs, obviously disgusted. And since you have done these acts of villainy, you must thus pay the price of your evil and disgusting ways. I hereby sentence you to experience every pain you have inflicted, every rape you have committed, and every life you have stolen. And until you have paid for your crimes against all that is right and just, you shall not be free. And curse not I, the mother of nature, for you have brought this curse upon yourself. I stand before a familiar cave, confused and terrified of what may come. To my left is my scarred and hideous excuse for a mother who has devoured my brothers and sisters. "'Behind me are those who have been spared her lunacy.' "'My mother returns her foul head towards me "'with a look of pure hatred and contempt. "'Come hither,' she barks. "'I slowly obey her command, "'terrified of what she may do to me. "'In a blinding flash, "'she claws out my throat with her long nails, "'and as I lay on the ground drowning in my own blood "'and writhing in agony.' I watch in silent horror as she ravenously devours my disembodied vocal cords.
0: If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause, and MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Story 2 Flight of the Elf King.
1: Gunther was sick, yet for all the herbs and remedies, Hugo's wife, Heidi, had learned from her grandmother. Gunther made no signs of recovery. The small boy would wail into the night, and beads of perspiration trickled down his clammy cheeks, which were hellfire to the touch. "'Father,' whispered he one night upon waking from frenzied dreams, "'The Elf King speaks to me in my slumber.' "'My son,' Hugo coaxed while wiping Gunther's brow "'with a rag wetted and warmed, "'tis but a tale to keep the children "'from playing alone in the hills. "'There is none here save your mother and I, "'with your brothers and your sisters "'dozing in their chambers. "'But, Father, I felt his breath upon my cheeks "'and felt his lips upon my hand "'as he sings pretty words in my ear. "'Gunther!' Even if fairy tales were real, they would have you face my wrath before they could lay a single hand on you. Gunther blinked and fell back into his pillow while Heidi caressed his pale face. Hugo, she said, our child needs a doctor urgently. I know, but it is late and Gunther is ill. I would not want the cold night to take his life. They sat by his side all night, taking their turns for sleep, as Gunther grumbled and groaned of the Elf King and of the Elf King's daughters. In the morning, Heidi woke the other children and had them attend to their chores, while Hugo prepared for the long ride to town. When the horse had been saddled and with his cloak about his shoulders, he shook Gunther, who moaned and covered his eyes do that we ride today, so that we may see a doctor for your ailment?' "'The boy uncovered his eyes, and grasped his father by the sleeves of his coat and grasped. "'Father, please do not make us tarry within those plains and vales, "'for that is where the Elf King lies, "'and that is where Sir Olaf befell upon the Elf King's daughter, "'who struck him down with pestilences with Olaf's bride and mother.' My son, please, the tale of Sir Olaf is nothing but that a tale. Now you need treatment, and we must avoid the winds of night lest you succumb to the angel of death. Gunther cried and buried himself into the blankets wrapped around his body, his eyes cast to the windows. But the Elf King waits for me in the fields, father. He has watched the cottage these last few nights. And eagerly awaits our arrival. Please do not bring me out, for he shall claim my body for his. Hugo could not bear to see his own son in such distress, so he let his youngest retire and fretted about the day’s work, casting wary eyes between the house and the fields. But that night when the other children had been put to bed, and he and Heidi were ready to resume the night’s vigil, Gunther suddenly awoke with eyes in the back of his head and spit, foaming at his mouth. Hugo and Heidi cried aloud and held the boy's flailing arms, and soon he was asleep once more. "'Hugo!' Heidi gasped. "'We have no time to wait. "'I know night has befallen the land, and that wind raps against the walls, "'but you must take him now to the doctor.' "'for he has little time left on this earth. "'Take him now and ride into the night "'so that our sun may see the daylight once more.' "'Hugo gathered up the afflicted child "'and raced to the stables "'where he mounted the horse with Heidi's lantern "'casting long shadows over the fretful faces. "'He pulled about his cloak "'and turned towards her weathered, worn face. "'There'd not even be enough time "'for her to change into her evening attire.' Please, she urged Hurry, my love For Gunther is fevered And may not last till the morrow She picked up the shivering young boy Wrapped in blankets And handed him to Hugo Her eyes deep and tearful My love I shan't rest until I have reached the court And have medicine for our child I pray that we Soon return But until then ask God to watch over us the father and son then headed out Away from the cottage and into the distance The night dark and the wind wild But the father held the boy tight against his body Keeping him warm and safe from the perils That lurked in the darkness of the fields they passed My father, the boy rasped Awoken from his days Will I be seeing the angels tonight? Of course not, my son They will have what you need Now rest your weary eyes, for dark is the night and cold is the ground, and we've yet to meet our travel's end. Gunther put his head back against his father's breast, feeling the beating heart and warmth of his blood as Hugo held him snug. On they went with the wind biting at the horse's heels and the darkness soaking their eyes. With a child held in one hand and the reins in the other, Hugo had not been afforded enough arms to carry with them a lamp, nor had he the time enough to toil with hanging one from the saddle. The fields flicked by and the mist grew thick, glowing under the rays of the moon. On they rode, never stopping until the father and child, both perspiring for fear, a life might be lost that night, taken by the cold pallid hands of death, come in the form of pestilence." Hugo noticed once they passed the stream that Gunther cowered low in his face against the wind and groaned aloud with dread. My son, he asked, why cover, shiver, shake and moan against the night? Gunther whimpered and replied, do you see the elf king in the fields? Hugo cast his eyes about, though he saw nary but fog and grain and shook his head. "'He is near us!' Gunther cried. "'The King of Elves with the crown and train!' Hugo gave a hollow laugh and ascertained, "'My son, the mist is in the fields!' Though he tried to lighten Gunther's heart, Hugo felt it weighing down their dampened spirits, so he reached his hand beyond and pointed to the trees ahead. "'Do you see, my son, the trees so near?' There is no need to have such fear, for if the elf king lived in the plains, he would not venture beyond the brush. But my father, he would not delight within the thickets thick. Given this, the father gave not a response, but he held the child tighter, keeping fevered dreams at bay, for that was all they were illusions of the ill. Past another creek they went while through the canopy above the moon-illuminated fog covered foliage. They wound between along the twisted path. The wind around them whistled in the leaves and echoed amongst the hills, and Hugo could not help but to imagine the wind whispering to him in playful tongues, though against his liking Hugo could not keep the words from the sighs. "'Sweet lad, oh, come and join me, do.' "'The wind eerily crooned. "'Such pretty games I will play with you. "'On the shore, gaze, flowers, and their color unfold. "'My mother has many garments of gold.' "'My father, my father!' Gunther cried with his eyes pried wide "'and cheeks bone white. "'Can you not hear the promises? "'The elf-king breathes in my ear.' "'Hugo shook his head, but his jaw was tight as he replied. Be calm, stay calm, my child, lie low, in withered leaves the night winds blow. Hugo urged the horse to gallop faster. While the trees whipped past and the road grew darker, up ahead he could see a cluster of willow trees that shimmered in the moon's marquee. He could not quite tell, but he could almost see fevered figures dancing in the grove. He then noticed there, below the branches' reach, three bodies lying still as stone. The wind began to holler. Hugo felt it almost sang against his ears, but he adhered to his belief that it was just a trick of the hollows. Will you, sweet lad, come along with me? It breathed. My daughters shall care for you tenderly. In the night my daughters their revelry keep they'll rock you and dance you and sing you to sleep my father my father oh can you not trace the elf king's daughters in that gloomy place can you not see sir olaf and his bride and mother underneath their chase the wind nipped at hugo's face but he batted tearful eyes and failed to stifle the shudders from the lullabies From their sides he surmised, rustling leaves that raced alongside their steed, who whinnied and snorted and writhed with eyes wild and pride. My son, my son, I see it clear, how grey the ancient willows appear. In his arms Gunther whimpered and wheezed, while the hoofbeats kept pace with their heartbeats fleet. Shadows shimmered in the trees and the wind blew the leaves. The moon now disappeared. The branches grew ever near, and caressed their tender tears. Hugo's cloak was flapping in the breeze, and he could almost feel the dreadful fingers snatching the hem to bring him sprawling to his knees. The maelstrom of leaves flew fervently, and his mind perceived demonic faces laughing at his plight. Yet he gave little heed, for Gunther was in need of treatment for his blight. Lest he die in Hugo's arms that night. I love you. The trees and shadows cooed. You're as charms me, my boy. And if you're not willing, by violence, I'll take joy. My son, my son, Hugo screamed. Have heart, for we are near the forest's extreme. "'He felt the body of the boy struggle in his arms, "'but he held his child tighter in his grasp lest he fall "'and come to harm from the trample of the horse's lash. "'Now, father, now, father, he's seizing my arm!' "'Gunther grasped, his eyes glazing past. "'Elfking has done me harm!' "'Hugo shuddered, suppressed a shriek, "'and pushed beyond the leaves and over the streams, "'urging his steed faster than he could think.' They soon broke through the forest wall while beyond the town was seen with the church's steeple tall. The moonlight glistened while the wind began to fall with leaves aground not hitherto. Gunther, Gunther, Hugo cried, joyful at last. Look beyond, for we've now reached the pasture. Our troubles have passed. You'll be sick no longer. Now let's go yonder." There was silent reply from Gunther's lips. Icy chills ran down the father's spine, like daggers and sticks. Gunther, please, have you slipped into a doze? If so, then please awake to let me know. Alas, when the father heard not even a sigh, he righted his son and was morbidly surprised, for in his arms the child was dead. Hugo's body ran cold, and he gripped his fingers tight around the blankets. The child's lips were blue, and his green eyes gazed at the stars. Hugo brushed a strand of hair from Gunther's hollowed face and whimpered at his chest, heaved, and his chin trembled. But he'd barely let out a single tear before he heard a chuckle from near. Turning his head, Hugo saw a small shadow of the dead, Standing above it was a lanky figure stroking its hair. The tiny phantom despaired and reached out a hand, but the larger writhed and snatched it away, shooting Hugo eyes a firebrand. Before they disappeared, the father caught a glimpse of the tall specter's finger, cold and rotted to the bone.
2: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Story number three, The Squire and the Black Scroll by Killahawk1. Kneeling before the night, Edwin accepted the scroll with great honor. It was such an odd thing he held, one of the likes he had never experienced before. The parchment was cold to the touch, and made from leather of the deepest black. It was absent of moisture. Still, it felt slick and slimy in his hand, as if it had been pulled from the river, rotting and decayed. He shivered at the thought of the animal whose hide hailed its origin. The parchment was rolled tight, with a clay seal upon its surface. The emblem embedded in the clay consisted of sharp lines and gashes. The boy knew little of matters of magic and wizarding, but he had had enough sense to see that dark curses and wicked hexes did crest this bind. Arise, boy! Make haste and do not delay your departure. Word will soon reach the enemy of the scroll's discovery. The time of reckoning fast approaches, The sacrifices made to deliver that evil thing into our grasp cannot be wasted with indecision, said Sir Leonidi, knight of the fourth realm. With great effort, the young boy tried to remove any hint of apprehension and fear from his voice. Yes, my lord, he answered. Heed MY WORDS AND DO NOT DEVIATE FROM MY INSTRUCTIONS. HEAD SOUTH AND RIDE ACROSS THE PLAINS AND THROUGH THE SCORCHED HILLS UNTIL YOU REACH THE SUNKEN MOUNTAINS. AVOID THE MAIN PASS AND STAY HIDDEN UNTIL YOU REACH THE GATES OF THE WHITE KEEP. THE KNIGHT PUT A LARGE HAND ON THE BOY'S SHOULDER AND SAID WITH A LOWERED VOICE, THE ITEM YOU CARRY IS DANGEROUS AND WILL BETRAY YOU IF GIVEN THE OPPORTUNITY. DO NOT GIVE IT SUCH AN OPPORTUNITY. Never must darkness fall upon it. An hour before nightfall, build yourself a fire, and with green salt you must encircle the scroll to ward off any dark spirits and shadows that call to it. Trust no one. If you must draw your sword, you strike to kill. Do you understand me? The boy swallowed and gave small nods of affirmation to the knight. Satisfied with his response, the knight continued. I ride east in the morning, with every sword and shield that would follow my banner." Sir Leonidi paused and looked affectionately down at the boy. My dear Edwin, I fear this may be the last time we speak, but if fortune favors us, we will attract the attention of the enemy's eyes and draw their numbers toward us. You will pass through the land safely and undetected. The boy took leave of the knight. He swiftly made his way to the supply hut within the encampment to gather all he would need for the journey. He was lost in thought as he saddled his young steed. Preoccupied was he over the war that tore through the land from an enemy that came from the stars. He wondered about the object openly displayed in the daylight upon his saddlebags. He pondered what would come to pass if the rays of the sun no longer fell upon the scroll... So focused on the dark scroll was he, he took no notice of the hooded figure that approached him from behind. "'Such a mighty quest for such a tiny boy! Are the times so dire that it comes to this? Well, one cannot deny that the fates do not have a sense of humor in matters such as these. Wouldn't you agree, little one?' he bellowed with a jolly laugh. The boy turned and clenched his jaw at the insult, but held his tongue when he saw the robes of a nobleman. He bowed his head and said, with as much respect as he could muster, "'I do what is commanded of me, sire.' The man laughed again. "'Do not take offense, young one. I merely saw an opportunity to jest with you. Although it might be wise to avoid such things until a more appropriate time, wouldn't you say?' The man's eye suddenly narrowed as if truly seeing the squire for the first time. To the discomfort of the boy, the man approached. He circled Edwin several times, inspecting him up and down. Once satisfied, he knelt before the young man meeting his gaze as equals and said, "'Yes, yes, I have chosen well. I have chosen well indeed.' At this he removed his hood and revealed his identity. The squire immediately bowed, recognizing the face of the wizard, and gasped. The old one! The old man smirked, but still held humor in his eyes. If I were able to conjure the name of the bastard who thought of that title, I would curse his children and his children's children. The whole lot of them would sprout tails of a pig from their bottoms. Jotki, wizard an advisor to the king of the fourth realm, Returned turned his attention to the squire "'and gently lifted the boy back to his feet and spoke, "'Nay, brave, brave child, arise. "'You bow to no one after this day comes to pass.' "'For a moment the old man's attention seemed to drift to other matters. "'He lifted his head as if listening to voices only he could hear. "'After a time his eyes cleared, and they fell upon the boy.' "'He hurriedly began helping to load the squire's equipment and supplies on the horse. "'He said, "'Time is precious. "'So little of it remains, and you have so far to go. "'However, do not despair, my lad. "'You do not go into the wilderness without defense and unprepared.' "'The wizard reached into his robe, removed several objects, and presented them to the boy. "'He held a torch, a dagger, and a leather pouch.' He said, I give to you the eternal torch of El Anandara. Darkness will flee from the light of the flames that shines. Bathe that wretched thing you carry in its glow, and you will be safe. Next, the wizard held up a sheathed dagger of silver and blue steel. He spoke, This is the blade, Anoya Tara. It fell from the hand of our goddess the day she succumbed to the enemy and was stolen from us. May it give you sight in your darkest hour. Respect this blade, and it will serve and protect you well. He placed it in the boy's hand. He lifted up the final item and gently laid it in Edwin's hand. Long ago, a mortal and an angel formed a friendship during the War of Demoni. So deep was their bond that it surpassed death and immortality. At the end of the mortal's life, the angel wept silver light and offered up his wings to exchange places with his dear friend. Moved by this act, the goddess called back his friend from the afterlife and made each into a star. She put them in the night sky where they would stand next to each other for all eternity, never to be separated. As they ascended, each shed joyful tears of silver that fell to the ground. My dear boy, I now give you this pouch. It holds the very last of our most treasured possessions, silver salt, from the tears of those two old friends. It is but a pinch, but it is all that remains, and no more will there ever be after this is gone. Evil cannot withstand its touch. Use it wisely and as a last resort. The wizard led the horse to the encampment's edge and helped the squire mount his steed. He spoke. "'Accompany the scroll and personally place it in the hands of my sister, Aladria. "'Tell her you carry the scroll of Necrotoratum. "'She will know what to do.' "'Trying to feign as much courage as possible, the boy asked the old man, "'My lord, why does this scroll carry such importance? "'Why do you entrust its charge to me? "'I am a mere squire who has barely seen the edge of battle.' "'The wizard gazed sadly at the child and said, "'My boy, I am afraid your questions must be put aside for another day. "'The less it is known to you, the better. "'If it were up to me, a garrison of our mightiest men would accompany you. "'But the quest is for you and you alone. "'I have foreseen it. "'As I said, the fates do have a strange sense of humor.' "'With that, he slapped the rear of the horse "'and sent the two racing off towards the smoky black southern horizon.' The wizard turned and softly said to himself, "'Yes, I have chosen very well.'" As the squire was an obedient servant, as there ever was, Edwin followed his master's instruction to the letter. He rode hard and swift through the scorched hills, and faithful to the knight's word. Not a sign or hint of the opposition's forces did Edwin encounter. Each day the boy was ever so mindful of the position of the sun. He always gave himself sufficient time needed to prepare the scroll before nightfall came. He carefully sprinkled the emerald salt around the scroll and set ablaze the sacred torch. There he would sit until morning with his dagger clutched tightly in his hands. It was not until he reached the passageway to the sunken mountains did misfortune eventually find Edwin. A company of troops occupied the mouth of the slender pathway. Never before had he laid eyes upon the soldiers of the enemy. Even from a distance they filled his heart with terror and dread. Long and slender they stood motionless along the rocky path. Stocks of pointed knobs protruded from their brown and black rotting flesh and grew like that of moss upon the trees of the swamp. No hint of eyes did they possess except for the pinprick glints of silver like that of a coin. Their mouths slowly opened and closed, reminding him of a fish plucked from the waters with gills gasping for breath. Consulting his map, the boy confirmed what he already knew. Only one other path he could take. Determined to complete his quest, he continued south and followed the river. When the night approached, Edwin repeated his ritual of protective spells and brought his beloved horse into the safety of the torch's comforting glow. Edwin shuddered at the thought of his new destination, the devil's maw. It is said in the age of Gorate, a great hellmouth had formed in those lands. The goddess sprung forth a forest and commanded the trees to bind this new evil. The good trees performed their duty, but eventually came to feel betrayed and abandoned. They turned away from their mandate and betrothed themselves to the hellmouth. The caverns consumed the trees and merged to become the forest of wood and petrified stone. Now all men are warned to steer clear of its boundaries, for dark spirits look down upon them with unimaginable hate and ill intent. In two days' time, the boys stood before a tree line of bark and gnarled trunks at the mouth of the gaping cave opening. Massive twisted branches of black and green stretched as far as the eyes could see. Stalactites and stalagmites jutted up and down the stone floors and roof, giving it the appearance of jagged fangs. No sound could be heard. No bird sang or animals stirred within the dark wood and cold stone. The silence and absence of movement were oppressive upon the young boy's spirit. He took what supplies he could carry, unsaddled his beloved horse, and removed its reins. He took a handful of hay from deep within his satchel and held it up to the horse's snout. It caught the scent of the feed and ate gratefully from the boy's hand. Edwin spoke. This hay comes from the stables to the noblemen's steeds of the keep. "'Follow its scent, and continue south along the edge of the forest and caverns "'until you stand before the walls of the white keep. "'My fate lies on a path you cannot follow, my friend. "'If the grace of the goddess is upon us, we will meet again.' "'Terrible loneliness laid heavy upon the boy's brow "'as he wished his companion good fortune, and set his loyal horse free. "'With a torch of el Dora in one hand,' and a sword in the other, Edwin entered the Devil's Maw, alone as the wizard foretold. By Edwin's calculation, three days' time would it take to transgress the narrowest part of the forest. He would emerge in the morning of the fourth day with only a quarter of a league to travel. The silence was maddening the first full day in the belly of the beast. True to its word, the torch of el burned brilliantly. Never did its wood burn down, nor was its oil consumed by flame. The trees looked down with such hatred and rage. Root and twine writhed on the ground, unable to penetrate the glow of the torch. Thorn and thistle scraped along the bark and rock, waiting for a chance to pierce and puncture skin and flesh. On the second day, broken was the silence. Stirred was the stillness. Whispers emerged and called out from darkness, behind the deep groans and moans of the tree trunks, swaying in the windless night. The vast branches beaconed for a champion to come hence to handle this transgressor and acquire this hidden thing that tingled the ground it passed over. At last... A guardian emerged from the dark caverns of the Helma that lay below. The pleas of the giant trees and stones had been accepted. Upon the evening of the third day, weariness and despair weighed heavy upon Edwin. He poured the last of his precious emerald salt around the wicked scroll and sat before it with his dagger in hand. Fatigue overcame him swiftly, and the forest saw an opportunity to strike. Masses of twisted and gnarled vines approached from above, carrying droplets of mildewed water within its crevices. Drip by drip, water fell upon the torch. The flames singed and hissed against the moisture, but slowly its light grew less. With the last droplet of water, Edwin opened his eyes wide, and the last of the light was extinguished. All was plunged into darkness. In the darkness, the scroll gave a heavy sigh, then silence fell. A scream pierced the night from the cursed object. It shrieked with the voice of a hundred women and infants merged into one. It hurt the boy's ears and filled him with terror. The wail slowly faded, and in the distance something answered the scroll's cries. Edwin unsheathed his dagger, and it cut through the air with a slash. A yellow wave of light shot forth in every direction, illuminating the area. In the distance, he heard branches breaking, rubble fall, and leaves trampled from the one who answered the squirrel's call. Not knowing what else to do, he placed the dark scroll into his satchel and buried it under what green salt he could scoop off the ground he hung the pouch of silver around his neck and nervously gathered his essential belongings. Beyond the amber glow, he heard the sound of ripping and tearing coming from the ground. A large black root had emerged from the wet stone ground. Black thorn covered its body and glistened in the yellow light as it reached for the boy. More thorned roots emerged from the grotesque plant and rattled in the cold air. The boy fell to the ground as similar ripping sounds began to emerge from his left and right. The sound of galloping feet grew closer from the woods. The black root curled itself into the shape of a scorpion's tail, preparing to strike. Edwin pushed himself off the ground only moments to spare as the black rote shot towards him. In a burst of speed, the boy ran the direction that would lead him out of the forest and caves. He ran without letting up, occasionally slashing a vine or thistle that moved towards him with the bloodlust of an enraged animal. The footsteps of the stalker were relentless in its pursuit. It stomped on the ground and then leapt from trees back to the ground. The boy scrambled to the top of a ridge and saw a cluster of vines not yet afflicted with the forest curse. He grabbed the vines and swung across the open gully to the other side. He quickly cut the vines to prevent anyone from following. He turned to leave when the sound cut through the air. The scraping of two metal blades rung from the darkness. It kept the distance just beyond the mystical golden light that surrounded the blessed dagger. It continuously scraped its knives together over and over again. The sounds grew louder and faster. Panic filled the boy, Just as he was about to turn and flee, the scraping stopped, and the beast emerged from behind the flickering shadows of the trees. It stood at the edge of the ridge, and its stare fell upon the boy. It was a dwarf, not the dwarfs recited to children in tales of fantasy and delight. These were ancient, evil creatures who despised the very existence of man. They infested the outskirts of each of the twelve known hellmouths, and greedily excavated the caverns for jewels, diamonds, and other precious metals. The creature stood haunched on all fours. It was half the size of a man, naked and emaciated. Its flesh was white and stretched over its bone. Every manner of metal rings hung from its flesh and nails pierced its skin. Filled was its mouth, with two rows upon top and bottom of needle-thin teeth. Upon its head sat the only clothing it wore, a pointed hat stained brown and red made from the skin of human flesh. With a smug confidence, it turned and walked away from the river's edge. Turning, it bellowed a loud howl and ran at full speed towards the ravine the boy turned to flee as the beast jumped high into the air landing a short distance behind him edwin suddenly stopped and swung his weapons in an attempt to surprise his foe the white creature easily batted away each strike with its two short and twisted blades the boy swung and jabbed but the pale beast evaded each slash and every attack it hopped from the ground to the branches of the trees and back to the ground with speed and grace, cackling. It was now just playing with the boy. From behind, it jumped onto the boy's back and buried its needled teeth into the boy's shoulder. He howled in pain and stumbled backward until he slammed the creature into the trunk of a tree. Its teeth shattered and broke off in the boy's flesh. The wounded Edwin was losing this duel, and he knew it. He then looked past the dwarf and saw the ground slope downward and heard the sound of the running water. A glimmer of hope crossed his eyes. He broke the bindings of the pouch around his neck and poured the contents into his hand. With all his might, Edwin charged at the dazed creature. He slammed hard into the dwarf, sending the both of them, spiraling out of control, down the wet hillside and towards the running stream's edge. They rolled and tumbled for what seemed like forever, crashing hard at the hill's bottom. The beaten and battered Edwin slowly crawled towards the water's edge to make his escape, but the dwarf was unfazed and pounced on the boy. He landed hard on the boy's body, submerging his head under water. It grabbed a handful of hair and yanked Edwin's head back roughly to expose the child's throat. It laughed in his ear and spoke insults to the boy in its strange tongue. Edwin could feel its hard member dig sharply into the small of his back. He felt the cold steel pressed up against his neck, blood already beginning to trickle from the blade's sharp edge. The dwarf lifted its head and howled a cry of victory. Before the breath from the dwarf's yell of triumph had entirely left its mouth, Edwin turned his head around and spat a mouthful of water directly into its face. Silver beads of light erupted upon contact with the dwarf's face. It clutched its face. Flesh fell away in mushy clumps and seeped between its bony fingers. Oily black and green blood bubbled over its cupped hands and oozed down its arms. Its eyes were expelled from its skull with such force the dwarf's head snapped back sharply, breaking its neck. Paralyzed, it wailed in agony from the silver salt eating into its face. Unnoticed, the boy had put salt into his mouth before his head was plunged underneath the cold water. Triumphantly, the boy picked himself up and stood over the broken body of the fallen dwarf. In the distance, light from a new dawn broke, "'through the forest's edge, and the boy smiled. "'Sir Edwin tightly grasped the hilt of his sacred dagger, "'and with two mighty swipes he took the head and manhood "'of the conquered dwarf. "'On the fourth day, Edwin emerged from the cavern's tree-line "'and fell into the arms of the beautiful sorceress. "'She had foreseen his arrival and anxiously stood "'with the boy's faithful steed, awaiting his approach.' With his final breath and the last of his strength, he reached into his bag and gave the scroll of Necra Toratum to Aliadria, as the old one had commanded. Aliadria fell to her knees from grief, for this had not been foretold. The fates had once again made a mockery of the pain and struggles of a mortal to satisfy their need for entertainment. She looked down at the child and mourned the loss of one so young and brave. It surprised her when the boy's loyal steed came forth and nestled its nose against the boy's face. Never had she witnessed such bonds of affections from a beast towards a human soul. If she were to render a guess, she would swear it too was grieving the loss of its companion. She could not help but feel pity for the animal. Her thoughts were interrupted when the glint of silver sparkled and caught her eyes from within the child's mouth. Hope ignited within Aliodrea as realization ascended upon her. The reunion between the two friends had created a moment powerful enough to find the tiny granule of silver salt. Aliodrea smiled as she saw the depth of friendship these two dubious characters shared. The sorceress quickly took out her wand and waved it in circular motions over the boy's body. She said, Not yet, child. We beg you not to leave us. You have so much left to do in this world. Come back, come back. Edwin's body began to shudder, and the lids of his eyes fluttered. They snapped open with awareness and life, and Edwin took in a deep breath of air. Tears of joy filled his eyes and flowed down his cheeks and streams. Trails of moisture glistened with magnificent light from the silver salt they hailed. He clasped the beautiful sorceress by her hands and said, She is real. She led me through the darkness towards your voice. She spoke of the scroll and revealed its secrets to me. I know how to use it. Be still. Of whom do you speak, child? said Aliadria." The goddess, my lady, said the boy. I know where she is imprisoned. I can find her and break the bonds that restrain her. Edwin stood shakily to his feet, his face now ablaze with light from the silver salt of his dried tears. He spoke with such joy. She gave me a message to deliver to the old one. Speak, child, what was the message? Aliodrea asked. Edwin looked at the black scroll in Aliodrea's hands, and with the sight of a seer and the strength of a knight, he spoke. She said, Prepare! The day of the prophecy will soon be upon us. The return of our champion grows near. The time has come to rid the land of the worm. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy these stories, head on over to my website at www.creepypastascarystories.com or to the Facebook page, Spooky Boo Scary Story Time, and make a comment. You can also make a comment where you've heard the stories such as Apple Podcasts or YouTube. I'm also available at Facebook and Instagram, at Spooky Boo Scary Story Time. And you can find me on Twitter, at Spooky Boo Roads. That's all for tonight. I'll see you in your nightmares.